Okay, our second reading is from the New Testament, from 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 6 to 16. We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we declare God's wisdom, a mystery that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. However, as it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him. These are the things God has revealed to us by his spirit. The spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. What we have received is not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the spirit, explaining spiritual realities with spirit-taught words. The person without the spirit does not accept the things that come from the spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the spirit. The person with the spirit makes judgments about all things, but such a person is not subject to merely human judgments. For who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Thanks, Christine. Well, um, today is Pentecost, and it's one of the most important days in the life of the church. You wouldn't know it because um, it's one of the days in the church calendar that the secular culture doesn't really care about or know about even. Like, you wouldn't know from turning on the television that today was Pentecost. But at Easter and Christmas, you do. Um, and so today's really important. And what it is, it's a celebration of actually uh, an event that happened on the Jewish festival of Pentecost, which was celebrated for a long time, 50 days after the Passover. And then what we just heard read or in the first Bible reading, what we heard read from Acts chapter 2, uh, is what happened when the Jewish festival of Pentecost became adopted into the Christian faith and became a new thing. The most, thing, the most common thing we talk about when we talk about Pentecost is the sending of the Holy Spirit to the church. Um, so let's have a look at this story and what it means for us, because I think it's remarkable. So you probably know from reading the Bible that there's the Gospel of Luke, right? And the author Luke wrote a part two, which is Acts. Luke is about the life, death and resurrection of Jesus. And the, the book of Acts is about Jesus after the resurrection, what Jesus did after the resurrection. And um, in Acts chapter one, you see that Jesus appeared after his resurrection to people for about 40 days. He appeared to them and he, and he showed them that he was, had risen from the dead and he talked to them. And at one point, he gathered with his disciples and he said, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to send you out into the world and what I want you to do is tell people about me and to start churches and to um, uh, baptise people. But I want you to wait 
I want you to wait for the Holy Spirit to come. And at that point, you'll be um, transformed. You'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Um, you'll receive the power of God. And the disciples say, wait. Well, when? When? When is this going to happen? And Jesus says, wait. It's not for you to know. You've just got to wait. And so the reading from Acts 2 is the fulfillment of what Jesus just had promised. Ten days later, after he had ascended into heaven, um, 40, so Jesus, 40 days after the resurrection, he ascended into heaven, and ten days later, on the 50th day after his resurrection, was the day of Pentecost. And the Holy Spirit poured out, just as Jesus had promised. And not just Jesus, but a whole lot of prophets had promised as well. Famously, the prophet Joel said this, this is from Joel chapter 2, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and billows of smoke. Exciting stuff. The prophet Ezekiel talked about um, Israel being like a valley of dry bones and the spirit bringing the bones back to life again. And that, people think, is pointing towards Pentecost, the sending of the spirit. John the Baptist promised that the Messiah would come and baptise people with fire and the Holy Spirit. So there's a lot of promises that have been made about this day that had arrived 50 days after Jesus' resurrection, 10 days after his ascension. And there they are, the disciples. Because they're Jewish converts to Christianity, they too celebrate Pentecost, um, the um, festival of the ending, ending of the grain harvest. Um, and uh, this is what I'll just remind you what happens. When the day of Pentecost came, they're all together in one place. What are they doing? Celebrating Pentecost. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house I was sitting in. I saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now, when uh, a writer in the Bible mentions imagery, you take notice, okay? So um, it's not like they just throw things in there for, for fun, but they write things down for us to notice. So, for example, what we notice here is the wind and the fire. We're not just supposed to overlook that and think, oh, there's special effects. This is Disney uh, at work here. And so what, what do we see? When we see the wind, we're to think of the Holy Spirit. All through the Bible, the wind and the Spirit are linked. Even in the opening chapter of Genesis, um, when the creation is occurring, um, there's the Spirit hovering over the, the, the formless void creating the world. Um, and Jesus talks about the Spirit, Holy Spirit being like wind as well. And so when we see wind appearing, we're thinking, ooh, is this the Holy Spirit? But also tongues of fire. Tongues of fire came down and landed on their heads, like, like this, all of the disciples. Now, has anyone ever burnt their hair? You have? What does it smell like? I've heard it smells bad. Yes, it's not very nice. I've heard it smells bad. Not as bad as bird flesh. That's good to know. Next time I... Uh, 
Um, so, yeah, my mum used to always say, don't stand too close to the heater because your hair will set on fire. My mum would always, you know, go to the full extreme of what could happen. Um, but we don't get a sense that anyone's hair is actually singed and, like, at the end of this experience, they've got no hair left because the fire landed on their heads. What is this kind of fire that's landing on the head? Who knows? I can't explain it. I, would, I want to call it supernatural fire, divine fire. And we can, I can say that with a fair amount of confidence because, again, this is a theme in the Bible. Uh, you've got Mount Sinai, the burning bush, God appearing as a fire, but the bush isn't consumed. And then not long after God had given um, the Ten Commandments to Moses and the Israelites um, and he instructs them to build a tabernacle, like a tent for worship, um, what do we see? But we see a pillar of fire appearing, which is symbolic of God's presence, and landing on the tabernacle and, cons- and, and filling the tabernacle with the presence of God. The fire was showing that at that point in um, the land where the tabernacle was, heaven and earth met. That's where the Israelites could know they were in the presence of God. God's power Um, present there. And so what's going on then with all these little mini pillars of fire, these tongues of fire landing on each person? What's going on? This is where we've got to take notice. What's going on is that at Pentecost, God is turning each disciple into a mini temple. Because at that point, the Holy Spirit descends on that person and fills them just like he filled the tabernacle and then filled the temple later on. From that point onwards, Christians had God, by his Holy Spirit, living inside them. Heaven and earth meeting inside their hearts. And this is true for any Christian. And it could be you true for you too if you want to be a, become a Christian you can have God living inside you it's one of the great truths of the Christian faith that we believe that if we are Christians then we have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of us well how does that work how does that work it seems a bit strange because you know the universe is 93 billion light years across that's a long way and uh there are 200, I've got to get this right, billion, trillion stars in the universe. That means that for every grain of sand, the mathematicians have worked it out, for every grain of sand on the earth, there are 10,000 stars. Right? Get your head around that number. And God is present at every star, the point of every star in the universe from one side to the other. But not only that, he's present in the heavens as well. God is everywhere. But also, this remarkable thing happens in the Bible that God chooses to be especially present in certain places. He was especially present in Eden, the Garden of Eden. As Adam and Eve walked around, God was walking around too. And he was especially present in the tabernacle, he was especially present in the temple of Israel. And now what we're finding out is he's especially present in the lives 
of believers in Jesus, followers of Jesus. What does that mean for us? Because if you're a Christian, this is true for you. Well, it means lots of things, but I'm going to focus on one big thing to start off with, and that is that we can have intimacy with God. No matter what, God is with you in a very close and intimate and personal way. It doesn't matter where you are and what you're doing. If you're in bed at night and it's dark and you feel alone, if you're in a stressful meeting, if you're at school, if you're on holidays, you can hop into a plane fly to the other side of the world, as our family just did, and God's still with you. He's with you in hospital like he is with Jenny right now. He's with you when you're stacking the dishwasher and when you're watching TV, when you're laughing and you're crying and you're awake and asleep. He's with you when you're young and when you're old. And he's not just close to you, he's living inside of you. The Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 3, verse 16, Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? See, at Pentecost, the faith, the Christian faith becomes an intimate faith. We can be close and we can be personal with God, like a parent and a child, perhaps, or like your oldest, bestest friend. God knows us personally and we can know him personally. And that is a privilege. Now, many of you have heard Pentecost sermons before and know a bit about the Bible. And you know that this is supposed to be true and you're thinking, I know that this is what I'm told at church, that I have the Holy Spirit living inside me and I'm close to God, but I don't feel it. I don't feel it. I don't feel it physically. See, while we have intimacy with God, we still have to care for the relationship. You can, you can neglect human relationships. And in the same way, you can neglect your relationship with God. He can be close to us, but we can still ignore him, block him out, pretend he's not there, forget to talk to him, be continually distracted in our life and so busy that we don't have time for him. This happens in human relationships. It happens for husbands and wives. Uh, you can be... Um, physically close to a human being and yet distant from them. You can share your life together, technically, in that you're living in the same house, even in, potentially in the same bed, and yet your lives are far apart. Because while you're physically close to each other in a proximity sense, you don't share your personal thoughts with each other, perhaps, or you don't take time to listen to each other, you're not honest with each other, you don't prioritise intimacy with each other, you live at the same address but you're living apart. Same goes with God. Just because the Holy Spirit is living inside of you doesn't mean your intimacy with God doesn't require a nurturing and attention. How do you do this? You talk to him, you talk to God. You listen to him. 
You take an interest in God. You make your faith in Jesus a priority uh, instead of it being something you take for granted. You can be honest with him. Ask him to shine his Holy Spirit light. Sometimes theologians describe the Holy Spirit as being like a light that shines up Jesus but also shines up other things like our sin. Don't be afraid. God knows you better than you realise. He loves you. He wants to show you grace. He knows all your regrets, all the things that you're ashamed of and loves you anyway. His love for you is divinely intense. Listen to Psalm 130, verse 3. If you kept a record of sins, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness. Therefore you are feared. The prophet Micah says, Who is a God like you, who pardons sin and forgives the transgression? You do not stay angry forever, but delight to show mercy. You will tread our sins underfoot and hurl all our iniquities into the depths of the sea. If you've ever been vulnerable with a close friend and shared with them your regrets and then had them accept you and love you back and show you grace, you will know that that experience causes you to feel close to them because you just... There's nothing more special than feeling accepted despite your flaws. And that's exactly what happens with God. He wants to show you forgiveness and love. And so part of the intimacy that we get from having the Holy Spirit living inside of us is that he ministers his grace to us in a supernatural way. And that's what draws us closer to him. The Holy Spirit goes to the centre of our hearts because he wants us to make him the centre of our lives. When we were travelling through Scotland... Um, We visited some castles. We went to the Edinburgh Castle and the Stirling Castle. And from a distance, I think it was the Dunvegan Castle. Is that what it was in the Isle of Skye? There was this one we couldn't get through to, but if we drove around, we could see across a long way and you could see it in the distance. Um, It was where, you know, one of the um, lairds lived. Anyway, um, these castles were set up and they were built to lay claim to the area and to defend the area. The flag would go up and the King of Scotland or whoever it was would say, this is our land. Sometimes it was the King of England trying to take over. Uh, The monarch would take residence and that's what God did at Pentecost. He laid claim to your heart. He put his castle inside your heart, his presence And once you realise that in God you have an intimate friend who cares about you, who thinks about you all day long and perfectly empathises with you in your suffering and perfectly responds to your mistakes, then this will bring humility to you. It would change you. Pentecost and the sending of the Holy Spirit to dwell in Christians and to turn them into temples, into mini temples, makes our faith a radically more intimate faith. So I encourage you to nurture that intimacy, to be honest with God and to experience his love and grace. Part of that intimacy is it gives us the ability to understand God as well. Having the Holy Spirit dwell in us and making us into mini temples enables us to understand the mystery of God in a way that we couldn't otherwise. 
when the disciples at Pentecost were filled with the Holy Spirit, they started telling people all around them about Jesus. They declared the mysteries of God and they were able to speak in different languages so that all the people from the 15 different areas around the, and that region of the world who spoke all different languages, they could all understand. Um, the temple and the communicate... The temple was a place where communication about God occurred. The priests would go and preach from the Torah um, and the priests had access to the mind of God. When Jesus was 12 years old, where does he go? He goes to the temple and he starts teaching people about God. And they asked him questions and he gave amazing answers. So by having the Holy Spirit dwelling in us and becoming many temples... We have this ability to communicate and understand God. So in the second reading we had from 1 Corinthians 2, um, this is what it says. Paul says, What we have received is not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the spirit, explaining spiritual realities with spirit-taught words. The Holy Spirit enlightens our hearts and minds. It's like the Holy Spirit is our divine Google Translate. If you ever use Google Translate, you can type or photograph words or you could speak words and then it translates to any, any language. Having the Holy Spirit actually enables you to understand the language of God, the mysteries of God, and then also to communicate that back to other people. Without such ministry from the Holy Spirit, there can be no communication, no growth into maturity. In fact, if without the Holy Spirit, the God and the message of Jesus and the death and resurrection of Jesus all seems like foolishness. But with the Holy Spirit, it's profound. And this makes us feel joy. Uh, Romans Chapter 5 says, God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, whom he has given us. And our hearts are filled with joy, and this joy expresses itself in praise. That's why we, when we sing in church about God and to God, our hearts are filled with joy. Um, remember it says, be filled with the, Holy Spirit, with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord. So at, we see this evident in the story of Pentecost. Um, at Pentecost, Peter then, we didn't read this bit, it's the next bit in chapter 2, demonstrates the spirit at work in him, uh, enabling him to communicate to other people. He stood up in front of thousands of Jewish pilgrims and talked about God with such depth of insight and clarity, and thousands gave their lives to Jesus. So the Holy Spirit living inside us enables us to understand and communicate the mysteries of God and it also means that we have power from God because what Peter's speech also shows us is that Pentecost and the sending of the Holy Spirit is about power for ministry. We need to be anointed by the Holy Spirit if we're going to serve him. Trying to do ministry without the Holy Spirit is like trying to drive a car without petrol. It doesn't work. If you are a Christian with the Holy Spirit inside of you, you have power for ministry. It doesn't matter who you are. Jesus said the Holy Spirit would give them the power to go out into all the world, and this is what they did. 
and the Christian faith took over the world. There's all kinds of power the Holy Spirit gives us, but the focus at Pentecost is on the power the Holy Spirit gives us to tell people about Jesus. So I encourage you that if you really have intimacy with God and a faith that is alive and a relationship with God that is honest and regular, then you combine that with the spiritual understanding you have with the Holy Spirit and then the power you have from the Holy Spirit, then your faith will thrive and the things you do for God will thrive, the ministry, your ministry will thrive. You'll make an impact on the people around you. Your experience of Christian community will be incredible. And so my prayer this Pentecost is that we experience that power of Pentecost in our church and that we are transformed by intimacy with God, understanding of God and power of God through the Holy Spirit. Let me pray for that. Heavenly Father, we pray for our church that we will be uh, a church of people not just thinking about you intellectually or going through the motions, but that we'll be transformed by your Holy Spirit, that we will know you personally. We will know, we will experience you intimately and that we'll... continue to grow in our understanding of you. We pray for each one of us in all of our struggles that we can put our trust in you and draw on your power. Amen.